Chapter 11 "'Rachel!' I cried. She was sitting on her bed. In the pale yellow light from her bed-table lamp, I could see that her eyes were red and puffy, her nose runny. Wads of pink tissue surrounded her, and she had an unsoiled tissue in her hand. Her mouth fell open as I burst in. "'Are you okay?' I cried. "'No,' Rachel replied quietly. "'I'm not.' She blew her nose loudly, as if to prove the point. "'Were you attacked?' I asked. "'Attacked?' Rachel's expression became bewildered. Huh? I couldn't catch my breath. I was panting loudly. It was hard to talk. You called. You sounded so upset. Then the line went dead. It... I thought... I thought the worst. Well, you were right. The worst did happen. What? Gideon is... She started to sob again. Breaking up with me. I stared at her in astonishment. You called me over here in this storm for that? Rachel looked stung. I needed someone to talk to. I tried to tell you about Gideon, but I guess the phone was knocked out by the storm. She picked up the receiver and listened. Still out. She glumly tossed it back onto its cradle. I turned around to see Mrs. West in the doorway. Rachel, Lizzie, what on earth is going on? Everything's fine, we both called in unison. There was a pause, then Mrs. West said, If you need me, I'm downstairs. Rachel sniffed. You're dripping all over my room. Well, how about giving me a towel? She walked out to the bathroom and came back with a towel that she tossed at me. I said, And how about thanking me for trying to save your life? Thank you, she muttered. She avoided my stare, her eyes welling up with fresh tears. How could he do this to me? My heart was no longer pounding in my chest. I felt angry at Rachel, but also very relieved. I toweled my hair briskly. What happened? Rachel didn't answer. When I removed the towel, I saw that her face was contorted by crying. She was crying the kind of tears that are so painful they're silent. Rachel, I said gently, it's not so bad, I promise. She turned over and buried her head under an old brown gorilla pillow her mom had sewn for her when she was a kid. Her sobs came in painful bursts. I sat on the bed and put a cold hand on her shoulder. Rach, I said, come on, what happened? He's dropping me for Alana, she said into the bedspread. He's what? You heard me. I don't believe it, I said. Rachel and Gideon had been going together almost as long as I could remember. If any relationship seemed solid, it was theirs. How did it happen? I don't know, she wailed. They've been working together on a social studies project, and... She didn't have to describe the rest. Alana, she said bitterly, raising her voice. She thinks she can have anything she wants, but she can't have... She was sobbing again, even louder this time. She pounded her gorilla pillow with both fists. Easy, easy, I told her gently. I kept my hand on her shoulder, but she was really starting to shake. I couldn't calm her down. Everything I said seems to only make it worse. I probably should have kept my mouth shut and just let her cry. But instead I said, well, I know a good way to get revenge. Beat her out for prom queen. Rachel raised up on her knees and jerked away from me. Are you crazy? She cried. Gideon was the only good thing in my whole rotten stupid life. Who cares about being prom queen? I won't even have a date for the prom. I don't have a date either, I said. I suddenly felt like crying myself. I was remembering the day Kevin found out he was moving to Alabama. That day, Rachel had sat on my bed while I cried. I tried to think of something comforting to say. I'll be your date, I told her. Terrific. She finally pulled herself together a little and apologized for making me come out in the storm. I told her I'd call her in the morning and headed back to my car. The storm was still raging as I drove home, but at least I wasn't terrified now. Knowing that Rachel was okay, her heart was broken, but compared to what I thought had happened, a broken heart seemed minor. 
I ran into the house, pulled off my soggy windbreaker, and stood looking for a place to hang it. My dad called out to me. Uh-oh, I thought. Here comes a major lecture. I had run out at night and taken the car without telling them. He called me into the den. I entered reluctantly, knowing I was in big trouble. But, to my surprise, he was sitting at his desk with a big ear-to-ear -ear grin on his face. He was wearing his favorite ratty old red bathrobe, the one with the ship's anchors all over it. The front of his computer monitor was on and filled with figures. He's an accountant and is always really busy. Did you hear? he asked as soon as I entered the room. They caught the guy who killed those girls. Chapter 12 I should have been overjoyed, but I felt my heart start to pound all over again. I was almost afraid to ask who it was. The image in my head was of a boy with brown hair and eyes set too close together. Lucas. It was on the news, Dad said. It was some guy who escaped from the state prison. I let out a long breath slowly. And Simone? Did they find anything about Simone? My father's pleased expression quickly faded. He shook his head. There's no word on Simone. I sat down on the black leather footstool. At least, he said, we can relax a bit now. The guy is caught. Thanks for telling me, I said. I went into the kitchen and opened the fridge. I wanted a snack, so I opened the vegetable crisper. Not that I wanted a vegetable. That was where my mom hid the chocolate from my father, who was developing quite a paunch. I dug out a huge Nestle Crunch bar, poured a big glass of skim milk, and sat down at the yellow table. I know it's ridiculous to drink skim milk when you're picking out on a chocolate bar, but, I figured, why not cut calories where you can? Anyway, chocolate always helped me relax. I've read articles that say it's addictive and that it makes people feel loved. I believe it. Gnawing on a big chunk, I turned on the small kitchen TV. The ten o'clock news was on, the weather just finishing. So, in conclusion, rain, rain, and more rain, said the grinning weatherman. The anchorman smiled and turned to the camera. Thanks, Tony. We may not be dry tomorrow, but at least we'll be feeling a lot safer. Repeating our top story, a man believed to be the Shadyside killer has been caught. I lurched forward in my chair as they showed footage of the killer being led into the Shadyside police station. Most people cover their faces when they're arrested and on TV, not this lunatic. He stared right into the camera and smiled. He was missing several teeth. His smile looked black and rotten. He was short, slight, but wiry with tattooed muscular arms, arms that had been too strong for Tina, Stacy, and Simone. What made you do it? cried a reporter, reaching through the crowd and shoving her microphone in the killer's direction. The police were trying to hustle him inside, and his lawyer was shouting, No questions! But the killer stopped and flashed that rotten smile of his. Do what? he asked with exaggerated innocence. Murderer! Murderer! A woman was shrieking off camera. The killer disappeared into the station, still smiling. He turned to give one last wave to the cameras, his small eyes burning. I reached over and snapped off the TV. I was sorry I had seen it. Now when I pictured what happened to Simone, I could picture the killer's face, that smile. It was as if he had been sending a message to me. I'm still going to get you. I went upstairs, brushed my teeth, toweled my hair dry all over again, then climbed into bed. I turned off the light and stared up at the day glow stars I had stuck to my ceiling. Usually they helped make me sleepy, but that night they weren't working. Nothing was. Was Dad right? Could we all relax a little now? Was it possible that this whole frightening episode was over? Those questions rolling through my mind, I drifted into a restless sleep. I didn't sleep long. I was awakened by a loud, insistent knocking on the front door. I sat bolt upright in bed. I stared at the clock. It was almost midnight. Was it possible that I only dreamt I had heard someone knocking? 
I knew I hadn't, but I waited in bed anyway, hoping I was wrong. The loud knocking was repeated. I got out of bed, grabbed my robe, and started down the stairs. My mother, tying her robe as well, met me at the landing. My dad was standing in front of the burglar alarm control panel, punching in our code number to shut off the alarm so we could go downstairs without setting off the siren and waking the entire neighborhood. We all exchanged frightened glances and then went down the stairs together. Dad yanked the door open. Standing outside in the rain was a grim-faced police officer. He looked past my father to me. Elizabeth McVeigh? he asked. That's me, I said quietly. Were you at Rachel West's house tonight? My parents both turned to stare at me. Yes, I said. Well, the cop said, I'm afraid I need to talk to you. You were the last person to see her alive. Chapter 13 Maria's rosary, I said. I made a check on my clipboard. The captain's whistle. Check. I was in the prop room, making sure I had everything for that night's rehearsal. Trying to keep my mind on what I was doing was the hardest part. It was Thursday night. A week had passed since Rachel's murder. A week that had passed for me in a total days. I just tried to put one foot in front of the other. Soon after I had left Rachel's house that rainy Wednesday night, her family left too. Her dad had insisted on taking all the Wests out for ice cream. Never mind the rain or that it was 9.45, but Rachel was so upset over Gideon that she had refused to go. Mr. West asked her nicely, then he begged, pleaded, and even ordered. He isn't the most understanding guy in the world. Rachel can be as stubborn as her father. There was no way she was going out for ice cream when her boyfriend had just dumped her. I'd rather die than go, she yelled at her father. Of course, those were her words her dad will never forget, and he'll probably never forgive himself for leaving Rachel at home alone. Then again, he thought the killer had been caught. We'd all seen his strange, smiling face on TV. So Rachel's family had gone out for ice cream without her. When they got home, Rachel was there, face down on her bedroom floor, stabbed to death. The picnic basket, I said out loud, check. I lowered my head. Now I was remembering Rachel's funeral. I thought the whole school would have been there, but not that many kids showed up. Gideon came. I bet he felt pretty low. He sure gave her a nice farewell present, dumping her for Alana. They buried her in a new section of the Fear Street Cemetery. It started raining again during the ceremony. I tried focusing my attention on the play. I used to love being up in the prop room. At our school, the prop room is way up at the top of the flies. That's what they call the area above the stage. It's hidden in a corner at the end of the catwalk that goes across the stage. It's so small it feels like a secret attic room. It's filled with all kinds of wild props. There are cardboard boxes stuffed with swords, feathers, old-fashioned phones, canes, every kind of dishware, bells, whistles, even a gun with a flag inside that says bang when you fire it. Right then, the tiny cramped room struck me as very scary. Who would hear if something happened to me up there? No one. Then I noticed something peculiar. The door to a small closet was slightly ajar. I knew I had closed it after the last rehearsal. I knew because I closed all closets until they snapped shut. It's a silly habit I have. I like things to be neat. I can't stand a drawer that's half open or a cupboard door that's half shut. I slowly approached the closet. The only thing I could hear was my heart beating. Slowly, I pulled the door open. A box of paper mache masks came crashing down and almost clunked me right on the head. There was no one in the closet. I knelt down and muttered to myself as I checked the masks. Luckily, nothing had been broken. And that was when the boy's voice behind me said, Hi, Lizzie. I stood up fast. It was Robbie, who was pointing a gun right at my head. You're dead, he said. He squeezed the trigger. The flag inside the gun popped out. 
Bang, it read. Very funny, I said. You nearly scared me to death. Then the joke would have been on you. I tried not to let him see how hard I was breathing, but he was eyeing me strangely. So, I said slowly, what do you want? He kept studying me for a moment. Then he said, oh, yeah, and pulled out one of the pieces of yellow paper that he took notes on at every rehearsal. I forgot to give you this note the other night. The Abbey Flats are reading too dark under the lights. Could you lighten them up? Sure. Then a girl's voice said, Can you fit one more person in here? It was Dawn. Her long blonde hair tucked up under her nun's wimple. She was the only one wearing a costume that night. Maria, aren't you supposed to be getting ready to go on stage? Robbie asked. Yeah, I'll go back down in a second. I just needed to check on some of my props with Lizzie. I won't be late, promise. Robbie crossed off the note he had given me and then inched around Dawn. Hurry up, he called back as he moved along the catwalk toward the ladder that led down to the stage. Dawn and I stared at each other. Something about her expression scared me. What's up? I said. This was a huge mistake, she said. What was a huge mistake? I never should have agreed to take over Simone's part in the play. Never. Why? Because it's just totally freaking me out, that's why. Wearing a dead girl's costume? Why don't I just wear a big sign that says, me next? I started to laugh, but caught myself. I'm scared too, I told her. Dawn stared at me hard, as if she were trying to see right through me. Have you been thinking what I've been thinking? She asked. It made me shiver. These past few days, a terrible idea had formed in my mind. Apparently, it had occurred to Dawn as well. What are you talking about? I said, pretending I didn't know what she meant. First Simone, then Rachel, and that guy who attacked me at the movies? Yeah, so? Dawn was still giving me that freaky stare, as if we shared a horrible secret. Well, do you think someone has set out to kill off the prom queens? The prom queens? My voice cracked when I said it. I don't believe it. Why would... You think it's just a coincidence? Dawn asked incredulously. Sure, it could be. Maria, it was Robbie, down in the auditorium. Places, please. Just a second, Dawn called down. But I caught the guy who, I began. Sure, Dawn went on, lowering her voice. But he was already in custody when Rachel was killed, and he won't confess to killing Simone. Come on, Lizzie, it's pretty clear. Somebody else is after us, and I do mean us. Dawn's left eye twitched. I realized she was feeling as scared as I was. I cleared my throat. There are only three of us left. You, me, and Alana. So, what are we going to do? Dawn asked, her voice trembling now. I shook my head. I had no idea. Look, you better get down there, I said. What I meant was, I wanted to get down there myself. She ignored me. You know what the scariest thing of all is? Scarier than some freak murdering us one at a time? Uh-huh. The scariest thing of all is, it's probably someone we all know. Well, you certainly changed your tune, I told her. You said I was crazy when I said Lucas. I stopped cold as I thought of Lucas stalking me with his dark, crazy eyes of his. I still don't think it's Lucas, Dawn said. I mean, okay, even if he had a reason for hating Simone, what did he have against Rachel? I don't know. Then I thought of Mr. Mead's game. Maybe that was the way to find the murderer. Put myself in his shoes. Imagine what he was thinking. I must have looked pretty spacey because Dawn asked, What are you thinking? Dawn, Robbie screamed from down below. Let's go. If I were the murderer, I was thinking, why would I kill off the prom queens one by one? Then it hit me. The money, I said aloud. The money? Dawn rolled her eyes. What are you talking about? What money? The $3,000 scholarship that goes to the winning prom queen. Maybe some guy wants to make sure that his girl wins so he can collect. Dawn made a face. Would you murder four girls for $3,000? I mean, 
Why doesn't he just rob a bank? That makes no sense at all. Wait a minute. I know. Maybe it's some girl who wasn't nominated and who's really bitter. I think the money makes more sense than that. Well, just remember, it's not a coincidence. Dawn, came the cry from down below. I gotta go, she said. She grabbed my hand and squeezed it. Her palm was cold and sweaty. Here's your rosary, Maria, I said. She clutched the beads. I'll need them, she said. I'm going to be doing a lot of praying. Dawn hurried out. I followed her out onto the catwalk. As she climbed down the ladder, I settled myself on the catwalk and stared down into the darkened auditorium and lighted stage area. There was Robbie. He was giving a little speech to the cast. This show is going to be great, he told them. Just the thing we need to start off prom weekend with a bang. But we all need to work hard. Remember, there are only eight days to go until opening night. Okay, places. I looked farther back into the auditorium. Who was I looking for? Justin? He had come to watch Simone, I reminded myself. Then I saw him, all the way on the right, and he was staring up at me. It was Lucas. Our eyes met. He smiled up at me. He made a kissing motion with his lips. I looked away. The boy is a psychopath, I told myself. Thinking that sent chills down my spine. I remembered our encounter outside Simone's. Lucas was so crazy, he didn't need a motive. He could be stalking the prom queens just for laughs. I once saw a movie on TV where this unpopular high school kid set out to kill off all the cheerleaders, one by one, because the captain of the cheerleading team wouldn't go out with him. After I saw that movie, I couldn't sleep for a week. What was Lucas thinking? No. I didn't want to play Mr. Mead's game with Lucas Brown. It was too scary. I tried not to look back in Lucas's direction, but after a moment, I couldn't hold out. I glanced back at him. He was gone. Dawn was singing a solo, really belting it out while dancing around the stage. Hold it, Robbie interrupted her. Mimi, he said to the pianist. A little faster there, okay? He trotted up on stage. Dawn, sorry to stop you. You're doing great, but I want you to try for an even greater sense of freedom, okay? Dawn smiled at him, wrinkled her nose, and said, Sure. Robbie put his arm around her. He turned to the rest of the cast. Can you believe how well Dawn is doing on such short notice? How about a round of applause? The cast obliged him with loud applause and cheers. They were used to Robbie acting like Mr. Showbiz. I stared down at Dawn. I thought taking over Simone's part was supposed to be freaking her out. So why was she beaming as if she had just won the Wimbledon? Then I had a really scary thought. Dawn had a clear motive for the killings. She desperately wanted to win. She was crazy about winning. We all knew that. Crazy. What if Dawn got some guy to kill the other candidates? But what about the talk we had just had? She did seem genuinely scared. I'd be scared too if I were responsible for two murders, with two to go. So what about Alana? No way, I quickly answered. I couldn't see her doing it. I couldn't believe I was doing this, suspecting my own friends of committing murder. Without warning, another name popped into my head. It surprised me. Gideon. That day at Pete's Pizza, Gideon had talked about the scholarship money. He had even suggested the rest of us drop out of the running, and Rachel had told him he wouldn't get any of it. Maybe he decided it was time to switch horses. My head was swimming. Down below me, they had started rehearsing again. Dawn was telling the mother superior about her confusion about Captain Von Trapp. I had to hurry down the ladder and into the wings to lower the next set into place. I hoped I'd make it on time. No more daydreaming. I carefully unwound the rope on my left. I made it just before my cue and let the rope go. Oh no, I cried as I realized that more than a set was dropping into place. A big, heavy sandbag went plummeting to the stage. Then I heard a scream from on stage. It was Dawn's scream. 
The sandbag landed with a sickening thud. Chapter 14 Dawn! I shrieked in a horrified voice I didn't recognize. Kids on the stage were screaming as well. When I got onto the stage, there was such a tight circle around Dawn that I couldn't see her. Dawn! Dawn! I called, desperate to know she was hurt. Then I saw her nun's habit. She was standing up. She was okay. I worked my way through the knot of people to get to her. I could see the heavy sandbag lying at her feet. Dawn was crying. It came so close, she was saying. It came so close. I put my arm around her. Lizzie, Robbie looked furious. What happened? I really don't know. I stared up into the fly space above her heads. When I pulled the rope, I turned back to Dawn. Through her tears, she was giving me an accusing stare. Hey, it wasn't me, I cried, hurt that she'd suspect me. Dawn, don't look at me like that. Someone is trying to kill me, she said darkly, choking on the words. And this is the second time they've tried. What? Robbie cried with an expression of disbelief. He turned to the rest of the cast. Okay, everybody, let's take five. Come on, give us some room. He put his arm around Dawn's shoulders and walked her back to the dressing room. I followed. Dawn slumped into a chair in front of the big mirrors. Now, what's this? Robbie said. Who's trying to kill you? But even as he said it, I was wondering, what's Robbie really thinking? Robbie hated Simone, but why would he kill Rachel or his new leading lady Dawn? Stop it, Lizzie. Stop it right now, I warned myself. You can't suspect everyone. If we knew who was trying to kill me, Dawn said testily, don't you think we'd tell the police? Robbie sighed. He picked up a powder puff, examined it, then dropped it back onto the table. Then he turned to me. I could see in the mirrors that I looked just as scared as Dawn did. Now, what's this crazy conspiracy theory you've got going, he asked us. Simone and Rachel were murdered, I told him, or did you forget that? What is it with you two, he said, pushing his glasses back on his nose. I know these have been scary times, but no one's out to kill you. Obviously, there's another psycho out there who got inspired by the first one. It's totally random. And that sandbag, Dawn said. The sandbag? It was an accident. I didn't like the way Robbie was talking. It made me suspicious again. Come on, Robbie said. I can't babysit you forever. We've got a show to rehearse. Now let's go. Robbie, I said, someone just tried to kill her. I'd like to see how you'd react if that... Lizzie, read my lips, Robbie said, his voice going up an octave. It was an accident, got it? Look, I said, surprised at how strange and shaky my own voice sounded. Why are you being so dense? Dawn is right. This can't all be a coincidence. Someone is out to get her, okay? And whoever it is, they're out to get me too. Maybe it's you. At that, Robbie threw his hands into the air and started to walk out. Robbie, I yelled. Two of the prom queens have died already, okay? Two of the who? he asked. I couldn't take it anymore. I suddenly had to get out of there. I had to get out of there fast. I pushed him aside and stomped out of the dressing room. Where are you going? Robbie shouted after me. You have to run the scenery changes. Someone else can do it, I yelled back over my shoulder. I hurried through the auditorium, the cast member staring at me. I kept my head down and kept going. I was about to burst into tears at any second. I didn't want it to happen in front of everyone. I slammed out through the double doors. Then I started to run. The hallway was dark, deserted. The classrooms were all locked. I shoved the metal bar of the exit door with my hip and was relieved to be outside. It was raining. When was the rain going to let up? Maybe everything wouldn't seem so frightening and so dreary if it would only stop raining. I ran through the rain to my car. Someone is out to get Dawn, I told myself. And that meant that someone was out to get me too. And Alana. But who? Who? I clicked on my seatbelt and screeched away. 
nearly hitting a passing station wagon. Soon I was roaring down Division Street, my mind whirling. Oh! I cried out as a face popped up in my rearview mirror. A hand gripped my shoulder from behind. I screamed, and the car spun out of control. Chapter 15 Still gripping my shoulder, the guy in the back seat laughed wildly as the car lurched out of control. My wheels slid on the rain-slick road. The car was skidding toward a guardrail. I turned the wheels into the skid and pumped the brakes. That was something my dad had told me to do when he was teaching me to drive. How I remembered to do it, I'll never know. I hit the rail. There was a thud and a scraping sound as my car fishtailed, bouncing along the railing. Finally, I managed to get the car back on the road. What are you trying to do, Lucas? I screamed. Get us both killed? He let go of me and slumped back in his seat. The road had widened now. I spotted a shoulder up ahead. Carefully, I pulled over and parked. I was shaking. I turned around and stared at Lucas with total hatred. If looks could kill, I was trying to burn holes into him with my eyes. He finally stopped laughing, and his expression darkened. Sorry, he said. I didn't mean to scare you. He chuckled some more. But I have to admit I gave you a jolt. I didn't reply. I just kept glaring at him. Sorry, 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 he said in a sing-song voice. Get out, I told him. Ah, he said, don't be like that. It was just a joke. Lucas, did you notice I'm not laughing? I snapped angrily. He frowned, bit his lip. Listen, seriously. He leaned forward and put his hand on my shoulder again. I pulled away so hard I hit my head on the steering wheel. Keep your filthy hands off me. Hey, he said sharply, what's the matter with you? You act like I have a disease or something. I couldn't believe it. What a sicko. He was acting hurt. As if I were the one who had just nearly gotten us both killed. Get out, I repeated quietly. Lucas's frown deepened. He wiped his face several times. Listen, he said, this is crazy. The reason I'm here is because I want to apologize for being such a creep, and... Well, you picked a pretty bad way to go about it. I know, I'm sorry, he said again. But I knew you wouldn't talk to me any other way. He was giving me that serious, soulful look of his. But because of his close-set eyes, the expression came out looking very scary. Listen, he said again. What I'm trying to say is... He gave me a nervous little smirk. I'd like to get to know you better. Right, I rolled my eyes. A lot better. Forget it, I snapped. Why? Lizzie, I really like you. I had heard enough, more than enough. I turned around in my seat, checked the mirror, and made a U-turn, heading back for school. I drove fast. Where are we going? He asked. We're not going anywhere. I'm dropping you back at school. He didn't reply. His silence made me even more uncomfortable. In the mirror, I saw him slowly lean forward to reach for me. Lucas, I yelled, I'm driving. But his arms were around my shoulders now, and then I saw it. The arms around my shoulders were dark, purplish-red. He was wearing his maroon baseball jacket. <laughs>